You know, our music, music has such a powerful effect on, on our lives and our worship. And so I'm so thankful that God's given us such a great group of folks to minister to us in music. And so very thankful. And uh, it's uh, so very unique. Christmas music is also just a wonderful time to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. And the songs are... Uh, always specific, but yet uh, so fulfilling, and so very excited. Thank you guys for coming and sharing with us. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock, and you'll hear more music, and uh, hopefully be encouraged and inspired uh, by more music tonight as well. So come and enjoy that time of fellowship. Afterwards, there'll be a, also a, a get-together a fellowship for uh, our um, church family, for everybody who's here to be able to come and to have some snacks and foods together. So don't forget about that tonight at 6. Uh, really encourage you and challenge you to be here. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Micah chapter 5. Uh, Micah chapter 5. Micah is that prophet that announced where Jesus was going to be born. And so when you think about that, it's a um, relatively short prophecy, but uh, very important. I want us to look at that this morning with the idea of expectations, Christmas expectations. How many of you have expectations for Christmas? You know, it's this Saturday, you're expecting it to happen, and you've got all these thoughts in your mind about how things are going to go down or how things are going to happen. And some of you have been preparing for months now, literally, for this Christmas celebration. Uh, I know some of you started decorating your house even before Thanksgiving, if that's possible, but started decorating your homes, getting everything ready. Some of you have been shopping all year long for different Christmas presents. Those smart ones have been shopping all year long for Christmas presents and uh, just getting the right thing for uh, those members of your family, those guys that you love. And if just the present wasn't enough, now you know we have these expectations about how it ought to look. It's presentation is the present, right? It's how that we just go all out with ribbons and different things to decorate our packages because we have that expectation that whoever receives this thing is going to be blown away by even how it looks on the outside. And so we, we certainly have all these expectations. I remember when our children were growing up, I was sharing with the Wednesday morning Bible study that we uh, have a, uh, a daughter and a son. And when they were growing up, just like a lot of kids, you know, they were so excited about the expectations of Christmas. They wanted a gift, and so it got so bad, uh, and they uh, just pleaded with me and their mom so much that Jackie decided, I'm just going to do this thing called 12 Days of Christmas, and I'm going to get them some little something that they can just unwrap and uh, be able to have, and, and that'll hold down that expectation until Christmas Day, and I won't have to hear them, you know, just, just nagging on me all the time about giving me a present, let me open a present. So it started out, you know, like for Aaron, it's a little matchbox, and for Megan, it's a little, maybe a, a doll bottle that went with her, her baby dolls and things like that, but it began to grow. Uh, and so uh, we <laughs> began to get, and then finally she, she went from a dollar limit to a five dollar limit, uh, and, and so it went on and on. So when we had grandkids, she just kept doing that thing, and so I'm telling her, hey, when is this thing ever going to end, you know? I mean, how far are we going to go with this? Uh, uh, and so now it's on down into the great-grandchildren uh, get, getting their 12 days of Christmas, and they get this box, and 
Sometimes it's a, a twofer. It's so nice that they have to use it for two days instead of one. Uh, but it really kind of helps them check their anticipation about, about Christmas until that day comes and they're able to unwrap those things. And so we all have those expectations. But you know, sometimes those expectations aren't always met by the way we thought they'd be, right? I mean, we've got all these thoughts about how great this day is going to be, the food and the fellowship and everybody's going to be there. And, and, and sure enough, something happens or something doesn't happen. And we begin to think about it and we get, sometimes we get disappointed and discouraged or a little bit defeated because everything didn't go the way that we thought that it was supposed to go. Well, let me tell you about the first Christmas day. I, I believe that as humanity looked upon the first Christmas day, the majority of people in the world didn't even know what happened. They didn't even realize it, that somewhere in some faraway place to some obscure uh, parent that, that this special child was born, they didn't even know. Haven't even heard, didn't even realize that it was going on. And so certainly they had no expectations at all because they didn't know. But you know, there, there was a group of people, the Jewish people, that had an announcement or had prophecy about his coming. And, and, and when that time came, some of them didn't even realize it as well. But the few that did realize it probably might have had different expectations. I mean, we're talking about Messiah, the king. The, the king who would rule over Israel was coming. And so maybe their expectations were not met by how he came. Well, Micah describes a little bit about that. And listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're a little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah began to prophesy about how the Lord Jesus Christ would come into this world. And let me tell you what Micah says, and our expectations or their expectations might not have been the same. You see, when we think about what's happening here, is that you wouldn't have expected much out of Jesus based on where he, where he was born. I mean, Micah himself kind of minimizes Bethlehem. He says, but, but, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. In other words, Micah would say that, hey, he's coming to a place that's really, really insignificant. That's really the smallest among the one of the smaller tribes of Israel. And so he's going to be born in, in this place called Bethlehem. His birthplace would be Bethlehem. And so in that sense, so that expectation, you know, would have kind of not met what people were thinking about a king being born. Certainly if a king was going to be born in Israel, it would be Jerusalem, Right? I mean, that's God's city. That's the holy city, Jerusalem. And so for Messiah to be born, you know, really should have been born in, right, Jerusalem, we'd think. 
We know what all the prophecy says about him being in the lineage of David and being born in the city of David in Bethlehem. And so even that very expectation, Micah says that, hey, he's going to be born in this, this small little village called Bethlehem. Well, now, listen, it's kind of exciting even to think about that. Because that birthplace of Bethlehem really, in a sense, gives a, a story behind the Messiah and his coming. When you think about the history of Bethlehem, sometimes do a, a search of Bethlehem in the Bible in the Old Testament and read all the events that happened in Bethlehem. Some amazing things were a part of the history of this little village, Bethlehem. One of those things that was a part of this village of Bethlehem uh, was the fact that it was a place where Rachel, remember Jacob's wife, she passed away in Bethlehem. They were coming from Bethel, and they were coming down through, and they got into the area of Bethlehem. Uh, the Bible says that Rachel went into labor. And when she went into labor, uh, they stopped there. And uh, so the baby was born, and, and when he was born, she, she died after his birth. And she, she suffered through uh, the, the birth of, uh, of her baby. And so she said, call this kid Benoniah. And so uh, the, the name Benoni wasn't his name that we know him from in Scripture, but his dad changed it to Benjamin. Benjamin. Jacob t- changed it to Benjamin. Because, you see, Benoni meant son of my suffering. And so for Rachel, it was a place of suffering. For this baby, Benjamin, to be born, he was born into suffering. But yet, 700 years later, there'd be another baby born in Bethlehem who would also be born into suffering. The Scripture says that Isaiah also prophesied about his suffering. He was a man acquainted with sorrows. Jesus was. We we know that his birth was a birth that would lead to his suffering and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus was born into a place that was known in a sense of a place of suffering. And his life would be characterized that as well, wouldn't it? I mean, for just a handful of people would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, and yet he would affect the whole world forever. Forever. And then Jesus would suffer even in his ministry, be rejected and abused and accused of all different kind of things. And, and later on, go through that passion for you and I where he would give his life on Calvary and his, shed his blood to save us and die and be raised from the dead. So Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. <clears throat> Not only was that a part of Bethlehem's history of sorrow and suffering, but also Bethlehem was a place of salvation. You might remember the story from the book of Ruth. You remember in Ruth there was two main characters. Well, really more than that. But Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, and, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and so at the time they were, when Ruth begins, the book does, they were living in Moab because Naomi and her husband and her sons had gone down to Moab to escape a famine. They were there and they were living there and they, they had left the area of Bethlehem, gone down to Moab and they were there and, and in that place her sons all die. 
and her sons die before they have heirs. And after that, her husband dies as well. And so Naomi's decided, you know what? I'm going back to my home. I'm going back to Bethlehem. And, and so I'm, I'm about to leave. And she told all of her daughter-in-law, remember, you guys just go and find you another husband here and make your life here in this place. But Ruth, Ruth was faithful to Naomi. And Ruth told her, you don't know, wherever you go, I'm going. And whatever, whoever's your God will be my God. And I'm going with you. And so she, she followed her back to Bethlehem. And so one day her and Naomi and Ruth were, they were gleaning in the field. In those days, the poor could come in and harvest a little bit of grain out of the field. They'd leave the corners of the field so that the poor could come by and glean. And so they were there. And all of a sudden, this, I'm sure, fine-looking young man named Boaz came by and Boaz came by and he, he found out that, hey, these two were his family. And, and there was a principle from the book of Leviticus about a kinsman redeemer. And that, that kinsman redeemer could, could, could claim or help the family members, especially if it was someone who didn't have an heir at all. That, that he could take this daughter or daughter-in-law and, and, and they could be married and have children and so that name would continue and not go extinct. And, and so Boaz realized that and so he took Ruth to be his wife. And he redeemed the family and the family property and, and brought it all back together. Everything that they had lost by, 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 by going away that when they came back in this, this relationship they got back together. You see the neat picture about that, that there was another kinsman redeemer born in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus Christ bought us back. That He redeemed us, that he, he saves us into the family of God. And now all of a sudden, His bride is the church. And one day He'll come for His bride. And so... When we think about Bethlehem, we don't think about it as being, well, why would the Messiah be born there? You know, there's one, one other thing about Bethlehem, and it's in its very name. <laughs> the name of Bethlehem is, is house of bread. It, it, it means a place of, of nourishment. A place where our hungers are satisfied. Uh, that's in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephrathah means a place of fruitfulness. And so in, in those two things we understand about the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is our satisfaction and that He is our fulfillment of fruitfulness. That the only way that you and I will ever have any kind of satisfaction in life is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We look around the world we live in today and it's hungry and it's longing and it's wanting and it's always lacking because for the majority of the world they've never experienced that relationship with Jesus Christ to find that, that satisfaction in Him. And to find that fulfillment in life through a relationship lived out with Jesus Christ. 
So now all of a sudden, you know, <clears throat> folks in Jesus' day might have looked at Bethlehem and says, you know, well, he can't be very much born in a place like that. He, he, we can't expect much from him, can we, being born in a place like that. But, but, you know, if you look a little bit further in this passage also, that we have to realize that, that you wouldn't have expected much from Jesus because of how he was born. <clears throat> he, he was born in a stable. The Bible says he was laid in a manger. Come on, I mean, what kind of birth is that for a king? Or what kind of king is born in a place like that? He was visited by shepherds. In other words, the entourage that greeted men in the world not only was Joseph and Mary, but also a group of shepherds. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, you know, we could really consider a lot about the, a shepherd. But they're the ones who, who first greeted him. Not the nobility or the royalty or the lineage of leadership in Jesus' day. Or, wasn't that kind of entourage that come to visit Jesus? But it was everyday folk that came to see him. And when you begin to think about that kind of birth, you have to realize his purpose of birth. What did God have for him? Why did he come? First of all, his, his purpose of birth. Uh, scripture says, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel. And God the Father says that you're going to be the one that's going to come forward and that you're going to be the one that's going to be ruler over Israel. That, what, what, a, what a purpose. Who would think that someone with that kind of future would be born in a manger or laid in a manger after their birth? Born in a stable. Listen. God determines our purpose. And He determines our future. You know, so often we're critical of ourselves and we think, what can I do for God? Or what can I accomplish for God? Or how can my life make a difference? Look, Jesus Christ, born in a stable, laid in a manger, visited by shepherds, is Lord of Lords. And king of kings. God has a purpose for him. And he has a purpose for you. One of the things that God's purpose was for Jesus. Was to do the father's will. In, in verse 2 he goes on to say. Yet out of you shall come forth to me. In, in other words. You're going to do what I'm sending you to do. You're going to accomplish what I'm sending you to accomplish. Now Jesus, Jesus gave his statement of purpose in the New Testament. He says, for I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, the Father sent the Son to this earth to seek and to save those that were lost. In other words, everyone and anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and puts their faith in Him and believes on Him as Savior, the Bible says that He gives eternal life or salvation. Seek and to save that which is lost. You see, every one of us was born separated from God. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of God's glory. Uh, that we're separated from Him by our sin. And the only thing that can unite us together with God is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's believing in Him. It's trusting that He died for me on the cross. It's believing that He he died for my sins and that all my sins are, are forgiven in Him. And that's the purpose that He came. To do the Father's will. You know, another thing also is that Jesus not only came to do the Father's will, but also Jesus will come to finish the Father's will. He'll complete it to to the very end. He says, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. You see, one day Jesus Christ will return the second time as, as king. Revelation 19 shows him in all of his glory returning to the earth, defeating his enemies in the brightness of his glory and the majesty of the expression of who he is, God. And then all of a sudden reigning over his kingdom. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You see, that's when everything is made right. And this world is an amazing place to be. So Jesus comes to finish the Father's will. You see, His purpose. We wouldn't expect much from Jesus because of how He was born. But yet God has done amazing things through Him. And then finally, you know, if we look at His birth and take it on face value or how it looks, you wouldn't have expected much from Jesus based on on who he was born to. I mean, the world saw Jesus and saw Joseph and saw Mary, and their expectations might not have been much. And remember in ancient days that a son was defined by his father and his vocation and station in life was determined by his father. The problem was Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. <laughs> You see, on his mother's side, he was born human, but on his father's side, he's deity. He's God. And so he reminds us of that very thing Micah does. And so what the world saw about Jesus Christ, they didn't understand. The fullness of his humanity and the fullness of his deity. Completely human and completely God. Incarnate, God living among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so all of a sudden, you you know, what we might expect is different. You see, everything about our expectations of Jesus might have been smaller than they should have been. And His revelation becomes greater than we ever believed. Usually when it comes to Christmas, our expectations are up here and our experience is here. But let me tell you, with Jesus, I I believe the world's expectations were down here. And and, and their experience with Christ is out of this world. Out of this world. You see, His person at birth. Who's going forth, Scripture says, are from old, from everlasting. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who is creator. <laughs> Who's going forth are from old. In other words, from the beginning. In the beginning, God, Christ, created the heavens and the earth. Paul echoes that same thing in Colossians when he says that he's the creator of all things. And by him, all things exist. 
He's creator, sustainer God, Jesus Christ. That's him. The world's expectations were here and their experience with him is incredible. Because he is creator. He is creator of everything. Nothing that exists was not created by him. But also Micah goes on and says not only is he creator, but he's eternal. He is eternal. He says uh, from everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. From no beginning to no ending. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that's Jesus Christ. That's our Savior. That's the life that He promises to you and I if we believe in Him and trust Him as personal Savior. As a matter of fact, that's the Bethlehem story about Jesus Christ. The world's expectations for Him and the reality that a believer experiences in a relationship with Him are incredibly different. Now listen, you you may not get everything you want for Christmas. But in the child of Christmas, you'll get everything and more than you ever thought was possible. Bow with me if you would let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the gift of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. That you would send your one and only Son into this world. That he would give himself up as a ransom for our sins. Is absolutely amazing. Incredible. Father, there's nothing about Jesus Christ that's ever been not met our expectation and exceeded everything that we can imagine. Because He is God and He's good. And we're thankful for Him today. Lord, thank You that by faith in Him, by believing in Him, by hearing that that gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, buried and rose from the dead, is our, our doorway, our gateway into heaven that That we come to you through him. We're thankful for that today. Thank you for this great gift. Lord, we might be disappointed with other things in our life, but never with Jesus Christ our Savior. And for him we offer you our thanks today. Lord, I pray this morning as we close our service that you would uh, help us to put more faith in Christ or... To begin that relationship with Him. That the greatest gift at Christmas time is the gift of Jesus Christ. Help us to receive that gift and to know that, that we have eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> I invite you guys to stand just for a moment.